Welcome in everyone to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a member of the 1012 Podcast Network. You can find all the great coverage of the Big 12 Conference over at 1012network.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. I'd also like to remind you, this podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. They want you to be the best-dressed fan this season, whether it's football season, basketball season, or anything else. Be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. With over 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. You can get 15% off any non-sale item by using the code 101215TEN1215 at checkout. Get yourself a Christmas gift. Get your friend a Christmas gift. But shop today over at charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week like I am. Anytime we grace your podcast feed and I'm joined by a man who's glad Red River Game is staying at the Cotton Bowl, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Yeah, the uh, deal announced this week, I think, extended through 2036. That's pretty cool. Um, and they're doing renovation, which only takes, I think, two years, not uh, any longer than that. But uh, they should have a two-year renovation to really overhaul escalators, the whole thing. It's going to be interesting. Some of the charm of the Cotton Bowl is like how terrible it is, but unchanged it has remained. Um, I, I, I am for progress, uh, so I'm curious to see how the, the renovations go. But more than anything, Gerald... We're keeping this game, we're keeping one of the best traditions in college football alive. And as college football goes around us with all kinds of change and things that, you know, will ir- irrevocably change the, the makeup, the blueprint. We've already seen that with the NIL. Glad some things kind of stay the same. Texas, same uniforms, show up to the Cotton Bowl. Some things, Death Taxes, Tim Duncan, and those two things are nice to, uh, to rely on being there. You're you're absolutely right. We saw the death of the Pac-12 the last couple of weeks, right? right? Uh, right. The official death, right? It, it died a long time ago. But, uh, you know, the opportunity for uh, Texas and OU to continue that rivalry, reignite some old rivalries in the SEC and keep that one in the Cotton Bowl um, is a welcome salve for Texas fans. And I think people that are college football traditionalists, I'm not like the most traditionalist person in the world, but I do think there are some things that is, that are meant to be kept around. Like I'm, I'm not a tradition for tradition sake person. That's just peer pressure from dead people. But there are some things that make up uh, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Anywho, things that we should do talk about volleyball, Kyle, the big, Women, not on campus because they're actually in Florida right now, but they were on campus for a while uh, and kept themselves in the NCAA tournament with a massive weekend uh, out west. Uh, We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the basketball teams uh, getting back on the right track. I say the men's, the ladies continue to dominate. Got some BOL. We'll whip you around. We got some Godzilla Tron, some fun recommendations there. And obviously we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So the ladies had to run the gauntlet. They they really cruised through that first two round that they host in Austin. And then they played two, honestly, championship-level teams, narrowly beating out Tennessee. 
before going into Stanford's trap. I almost said going into Stanford's trap, but there's nothing trap about Stanford. Going into Stanford right. on their home court in front of the hostile crowd and coming away with a pretty decisive three to one victory. Kyle, Texas won. Guaranteed at least a 10-point bump in their Director's Cup mm-hmm. ratings over Stanford. And two, uh, puts themselves, again, in the Final Four uh, in a position to defend their title, especially with the way things went early in the season. I did not think we would be here. Yeah, the the um, the matchups with Stanford add an extra layer with the Director's Cup. Like, I love it. It's my, my favorite wrinkle that's been added to to sports the past few years not that the director's cup hasn't always been there but in the past decade is it's become more visible and prevalent i love that i was you know hanging on every bump set spike of of that uh matchup and yeah it's uh it's a big one it's a big win this team has starting with a a loss to long beach state which we'll talk a little bit how uh, another texas program um may have got some redemption for that one uh but uh starting the season that way as reigning champions with the amount of talent they left with a logan engelson size hole um it was kind of crazy and we knew maddie skinner was a was a was a rock star um you saw this weekend her you know ascendancy all season honestly she's been great uh but between her and asia o'neill they've really stepped up in in this run and has made they've made it their own um the Stanford game was great. That Tennessee game, Gerald, was or match was wild. Like that was um that was just as good as edge of your seat high drama as volleyball gets. Um I did not need that in Pacific time, Kyle. Sure. That was a Pacific time. I needed to go to sleep. Yeah, I think the I think the game took like four hours. Like or the match took about four hours. Um it was it was um it was wild. Like it, again, Maddie Skinner was—I don't know if you want to call her the the main story, but was certainly one of the main stories in that one. Uh, career high twenty six kills. This whole weekend, it just felt like, um, like I said, she she rose to the occasion. They just kept feeding her, and and Stanford knew it. Tennessee knew it. You know, every coach, every fan knew it. Oh, the ball's going to Maddie Skinner. Okay, stop it. Right? It's it's uh, it's like having a, a running back back in the good old days. So you just uh, feed him the ball and say good luck. Stop it. You know he's getting it. We're going to run him. We run 50 plays in a game and 35 of them are handoffs to Earl Campbell. Stop it. Um, and, you know, good on Maddie Skinner. I, it's, been, it's been exciting watching this become, really, her team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 50 kills on the weekend is a massive number, right? Like, you know, the ball's going through her and you could. And, and you mentioned like this was the Tennessee match specifically was like cinematic, right? Texas wins the first one. Tennessee wins the next two. Fourth set. Tennessee's on match point, right? right? They're up 24 to 23, right? They win one more point in that. They win the next point. Texas loses. And then Texas scores three unanswered. Maddie Skinner goes back to back, right? She did what she does. Um, and then Texas capitalized on some miscues from Tennessee on the on the 26th point of them. And then the fifth set, right? Texas gave up. Texas was on match point. Uh, gave up four straight. And then Texas, again, Maddie Skinner comes in and scores one in Texas. Uh, then again, capitalizes on an error to close it out. So that was like massive. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the, the Stanford match, uh, felt cinematic and it felt cathartic in its own way as well, right? Texas looked in control in that first set, and then the wheel, the the plate started wobbling pretty hard in that second one. Stanford looked like it was the Stanford of old, and Texas was looking like it was shook a little bit. Uh, they righted the ships and and. Um, a couple of narrow, the last two were narrow wins, a uh, 25, 19, 25, 22. But um, again, 
Texas did what it needed to do uh, and got punched its ticket back to the final four yet again. Um, we have to st- not start, but I think Jarrett Elliott uh, as a coach has really solidified himself as I would say not like volleyball goats, but I think University of Texas goat coaches, right? When we think about the best coaches, I think he's up there, right? He's got to be, he's not quite Eddie Reese um, in that. Nobody's ever going to be in that ballpark, right? But like, He's got to be one of those up there. Like he's got to be in the Augie conversations. He's got to be in the DKR conversations for what he's done with this program. And really this year is emblematic of it because you lose all of that talent from last year. You need somebody to step up. It was looking shaky early. He figured out the, the levers to pull with his team. He got them going in the right direction. And again, they're two wins away from uh, being back-to-back champions. Yeah, and unless he can figure out a way to NIL Asia O'Neill for like a 10th and 11th season, um, you know, there, there's he's going to continue to utilize the portal, right? He went from a different era of volleyball, and he's really adapted to the point where, you know, it's funny to hear Nebraska fans cry, oh, Texas, they're just, they're just buying their team. You know, like he's gone out and, and selected some of the best players. So you have that struggle um, where – it's a good struggle when when you, you know you get the best players, but you have to build that team, um, build that camaraderie, uh, and and kind of make the pieces fit, right? And and sometimes it takes a little while to get it going. It seems like they've certainly got it going. But it, to, to your point of where he he enters himself into that pantheon, this is Texas's eleventh Final Four in the last sixteen years. I think they've made seventeen out of the last eighteen Elite Eights. Like it's weird when Texas isn't unbelievably good and that's you know on all the sports on on campus there's a there's a handful we want that to be the case for every sport every year but there are ebbs there are flows there are mediocre years and you know in some sports there are bad years right um the fact that volleyball just has really set the standard uh or or maybe taken coach reese's uh challenge to what the standard should be um is great, especially because the Big Ten is is you know God's volleyball conference. If you listen to anyone up there, uh, so the fact that Texas kind of is a palate cleanser to just uh, West Coast volleyball and Big Ten volleyball is uh, I love it. Couldn't love it more. Yeah, I mean Texas heading down to Tampa, um, becoming snowbirds. I don't know if it's snowbird going from Texas to Florida, but uh, Texas with this trip becomes the first school in the existence of the college football playoff to have a team in both the CFP and the volleyball final four uh, has a chance to be the first school since USC in 03 to hoist a football and volleyball title in the same year. Although that 03 was a split national championship. So Nebraska was the last ones that did it clean in 1995. So 11th final four in the last 16 years, Texas squaring off against overall number two seed, Wisconsin, who's a tough squad. They actually swept Number one overall seed, Nebraska, in the regular season, splitting that Big Ten regular season series one to one. Nebraska has lost just two sets since November 17th. That is inclusive of the sweep of Nebraska. Big Ten is good. I'm not, it wasn't uh, indicating that they're not. And this is a Wisconsin team that came through in the tournament and, and you know, has, has looked strong. Um, but Texas has has some history on their side, right? They hold a 5-4 advantage in this series, a slim 2-1 advantage in the postseason. They basically split their previous meetings in the semifinals. Wisconsin won in 2013, but Texas won the most recent in, uh, in 2020. My favorite stat here is that Texas has reached this 
the stage, the semifinals, 14 times, um, which is a lot. Um, they have won nine of those 14. If Texas gets this close, they're almost uh, more likely than not, uh, or certainly more likely than not historically, to get at least to that national championship game. If they're if they can smell it, if they're in the final four, uh it's it's more likely than not that they're gonna get at least to the big dance. You know, it's gonna be a tough test. Wisconsin is coming off three to one wins over tough Penn State and Oregon squads. Uh, if they manage to pull that off on the other side of the bracket, your reward for knocking off the number two seed is either Nebraska, who has lost just one game on, or one match on the year. They didn't uh, drop a, a set until the regional final in the postseason, uh, or Pittsburgh, who's twenty nine and four on the year, riding a nine game win streak. Pittsburgh. Uh, if if you are the type of person who wants to beat the best, you and I are not the same. Uh, I like to win, and so <laughs> I'm cheering for Pittsburgh to pull off the upset. Uh, Pittsburgh ha- uh, pulled off a reverse sweep to avoid being upset by Louisville in the regional final. So uh, it's not going to happen, but I want Pitt to win that one just because, you know what, again... There are people that like to be get face every team at their best, and there are people that like to win, and I am in the latter. So, Texas, if you are a fan and want to watch this, you've got to have ESPN Plus, I believe, uh, to check this out. But they'll be back in action uh, this weekend to take on the Wisconsin Badgers, hopefully setting up a matchup with either Nebraska or Pittsburgh. If this is the year of revenge matchups, Kyle, it's been the year of revenge in football. If Texas beats Nebraska in the final. You know who Nebraska beat in 95 to win the volleyball title? Mm. 3-1 win over the Texas Longhorns. The year of revenge. I'm calling it now. I think that's what's going to happen. Love it. Love it. Um, We can also get our our last revenge win in football against Washington to get us to that CFB final. So revenge all around. Let's do it. Do the thing. Um, volleyball is the sport to be watching right now. If you haven't tuned in to watch long run volleyball, first of all, what are you doing? Uh, second of all, rectify that. It is maybe the easiest, most fun, most quick action. You'll pick the game up quickly. If you're a diehard like Gerald and I, um, who've covered it since our time in college, um, you know that you're going to be tuning in, in this, but if you've never somehow avoided watching it, tune into this one. It's going to be a great one on Wednesday. NCAA volleyball is so much fun to watch. Regardless, it's so much, so much fun. But that brings us to the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. It's all hardwood this week, both volleyball and basketball. Number 12 men's basketball since we last talked was honestly dominated by Marquette and then rebounded with a nice lopsided win over the artist formerly known as HBU. Now they're HCU Houston Christian uh, over the weekend. So they 86 to 65 loss at the hands of Shaka Smart and the Marquette Golden Eagles. Uh, Marquette had a, a 14 point lead at halftime and never really looked in trouble. Texas struggled to put the ball in the bucket uh, outside of Max Acemas, uh Texas struggled to put the ball in the bucket while uh, Marquette seemed not to have those types of issues yeah the the key stat to this one right we knew tyler colick coming in was one of the best players in the country um probably the best point guard in the country just facilitates the offense well when he gets hot uh and shoots well is also you know 
unstoppable. He had eight rebounds to go, twenty eight points in this one. But the real, um, the real stat came. It was twenty nine to twenty six. Texas got up early. Marquette was starting to make their run. It looked like they might try to pull away, and then Chendall Weaver chased down and uh, had a chase down uh, block, and uh, unintentionally, of course, doinked it off Tyler Kolek's face. He immediately goes down and hits a three uh, the next trip out and just went supernova. Like, if there's, and I'm just going to say this as as, as a white guy, if there's an angry little white guy point guard, don't hit him in the face with the ball. That's only going to make him angrier and better, honestly. Um, So we'll have to learn that as we go into uh, the tournament. I kid, of course, but, uh, yeah, Tyler Kolek went supernova in this one. Shaka has himself an incredibly good team, right? Texas has this weird thing where they've either played the the 350th uh, net ranking team, like legitimately not kidding, teams over 300 or top 10 net teams, so or Ken Palm, whichever ranking you want. Like they've either played Final Four level teams or you know really good high school varsity teams, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, or, or pretty good, I should say. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's hard to figure out exactly where this Texas team is, but I mean, just going to frankly say it at this point in the season with as much portal rebuild as, as, as we did and this identity finding and, and a lack of Dylan to as well, looming over, um, we know that Texas is not at the level of Elite Eight where they were last year or where we expect Marquette and UConn to at least be this year. I still think we don't know what this team is because Dylan Deese, who hasn't played a single minute right, as right, well, I think right. that's something to uh, account for as well. I think there'll be a much different team when Dylan Deese, when and if, let me say at this point, Dylan Deese is healthy to suit up. I think we saw what he can be and if he can get to like 80% of that ceiling that he was hitting in the NCAA tournament. I think this is a very, very formidable team. Um, but again, you know, Marquette is probably an elite eight team, I would say at this point, like that's what it feels like. Um, they're a team that I think is going to, to, um, have a lot of success in the postseason, and it's not frustrating, but it's curious to see that Shaka has gone back to his roots post Austin. Like he really is playing more of a um, style of offense that he was playing before uh, he went to Austin. I'm not sure why he decided to shift the, or just style of play um, that he was doing before he got to Austin. Uh, so I'm curious to see uh, why. I'm just curious about that, but that's fine. But then Texas rebounded. HCU, uh, artist formerly known as HBU, but uh, HCU closed it to one point with 12 minutes left in the first half, and then Texas went on a 19-0 run and just absolutely dominated them. It was just not a close contest. Uh, I wonder if like the Austin, the Austin High Maroons could uh, have put up a better fight in the second half of that game. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it was a nicely scheduled game um, to, uh, to to cleanse that palate. Palate cleanse. Yes, yes. Uh, they needed that, right? Give them a little time off. Give them plenty of time for their big showcase coming up. Um, yeah, it, it's it, this one was over before it was, uh, uh, you know. Let me say this. HCU got close in the first half at one point, and then Texas just made sure that it wasn't going to be one of those games. And I was glad of that because you didn't really have to pay attention in the second half uh, of that one. But, yes, um, a nice solid win. We, we need more of those. Uh, just comfortable, solid, don't worry about it. Uh, I'd like more of those in Big 12 play. That would be nice if we could get comfortable wins here as we get ready to start 
conference uh, in the coming days. Buddy, I hate to break it to you. Big 12 is going to be officially <laughs> ball of knives this year once again. Next up for Texas in potentially my favorite tournament of the year, the Halal Guy Showcase against LSU in uh, the great metropolitan of Houston on Saturday. I am a little bit bummed. Um, I was supposed to go to this. Uh, shout outs to legitimate friend of the pod david kwan who who set up a pretty cool event um and and was hosting uh folks in for this doubleheader it's also an a&m game afterwards but uh for the ut lsu game but i will actually be in lsu's home home territory back in louisiana this weekend and we'll have to miss it so david kwan and all the folks uh joining from the teos club uh enjoy the game uh we will talk about it next week and break down what happens i will be watching I wish I could get some Halal guys and be real honest. For with real. You. For uh, real. On the other side, number five women's basketball continues to just be absolutely dominant. Uh, Ten to, uh, they are officially undefeated ten and zero on the season with a one hundred six to sixty two drubbing of Long Beach State. Yeah, I, I, I alluded to it in the volleyball section, right? This was a bit of a uh, redemption for Long Beach starting uh, the volleyball team's season with a with a surprise and upset uh win uh or i guess loss for the longhorns uh but win for long beach and, and you know uh, taylor jones and, and the gang um all seem to uh take that a little bit personally and again made sure this one was uh was over before before it got into the third quarter um texas has been not just good but dominant right their best start in uh, i think eight years are matching their best start in eight years as they're 10 and 0 undefeated um they've just looked like one of the best teams in the country, you know, without a doubt. Obviously, running UConn uh, will will do that for you. But just anyone they've faced, this is sixty percent of their games. They've topped a hundred points. They are dominating the teams they're better than, and they're showing up for the games. Um, you know, where the opponent is on their level, and uh, that's the mark of a good team. That's a mark of a deep team, right? They, they've slowly brought Aaliyah Moore back into the fold. Um, they have enough bigs that. I think that loss to Stanford where they just, you know, literally and metaphorically uh, ran into trees um, made Vic say, huh, okay, I'll get a plethora of bigs. And Texas is obviously uh, dominating folks with the best point guard in the country and Rory Harmon, but they're also doing it with a ton of size inside. Yeah, I mean, this is what you want to see from a championship level team, right? They're playing outmatched opponents and they're making them look decidedly outmatched is really what it is. And I think that's exactly what we want to see. And I think this is what Vic Schaefer has been building to, right? Uh, we talked about it already. Like they were ahead of schedule early in his career. I feel like this is one of the years that Vic has been building to. It's an incredible team, incredible talent, incredible size. Um, and I think they play the game like Vic wants them to. So next up for Texas, they've got Arizona on the day you're listening to this Wednesday, if you listen to it when it came out, if you didn't, then you missed it and this is outdated, but either here nor there, they're playing Arizona, uh, they'll probably win that one as well. Yeah, because Shayla Gonzalez is bringing the crowd. I think I heard 50 tickets are, are in her name, the, the Gilbert, Arizona native, former Arizona Gatorade player of the year. So uh, excited for a little homecoming. Hopefully Shaylee balls out. I need to do the research on this, but I think she's one of like five or six Gatorade players of the year on this squad. Yeah, I think they have a Mississippi to Texas uh, in Arizona, and there's another one I'm not uh, I'm not thinking of at the moment. But yes, they they are they are deep uh, in America's favorite uh, powdered, not a sponsor, could be a sponsor, uh, <laughs> a sports drink Gatorade player of the year. 
All right, Gerald, now let's take a look at the world through some burnt orange lenses. we got to start with the big news in Longhorn Nation this week. Big news for the big man. Tavondre Sweat goes ahead and and wins the award that you know he honestly was eligible for. He was never going to win a Heisman. Still think he should have had some top 10 votes. That's ridiculous. Um, but uh, for the best lineman offensive or defensive uh, in the country, it is Tavondre Sweat officially uh, with the crowning with the Outland trophy gerald um we know how big he is literally how big is this uh in the uh, pantheon of awards i just feel bad that cooper bb got dominated by t sweat twice in one year doesn't normally <laughs> happen to guys uh but that's either here nor there fourth outland for texas following some names you may be familiar with scott appleton tommy nobis and brad shearer in the 70s i mean Texas for a long time had a reputation for producing these kinds of guys, right? Casey Hampton, Rod Wright, um, you know, those those types of dudes. Uh, and so getting back to that, um, Texas has an opportunity to do that. And I think Tavondre Sweat is a guy who shows that sometimes it's worth coming back for another year and developing. He made himself a metric butt ton of money in one year of coming back, not just because of the NIL deals he got for staying, but also because he probably went from a late draft pick to an, to being one of if not the top defensive tackles in the draft so i think he's absolutely um just a, a a banner for what texas can do developing and i think it's just absolutely incredible to see kid that was a three-star defensive end came to texas in the, the picture you, uh, someone i think tweeted at us you posted a couple times uh, of him in high school was crazy. I drove through Huntsville today and I, I saw a billboard for a law firm that had Tavondre Sweat on it, but it was a full size version. Uh, they what they should have done for the local crowd is is find the like I don't know two hundred and sixty pound Tavondre Sweat that committed to Texas. Wild the transformation, uh, second only to Arakpo maybe uh, in his college transformation. So. Both of those guys are going to the NFL, but there are some players leaving Texas uh, via the the more recent uh, means of of transportation. Of course, the transfer portal officially opened uh, since we have last talked to you. Uh, We reported the early folks uh, from day one uh, last week. There's been a few more who've entered the portal um, and a few names that have been strongly linked on the Texas side. We'll start with the outgoing... um, Two wide receivers in Casey Kane and Isaiah Nair um, joining uh, some defensive backs in the portal. We had Larry Turner Gooden, uh, who didn't see much field time, was a big recruit. And then B.J. Allen, who I actually saw a 247 or on three. One of them had him ranked as like the number six uh, safety in the portal. I think he, he's got a lot of upside. We just haven't seen it. But uh, two defensive backs there and then. Sawyer Gorham Welch, who uh, the law firm came in, switched positions, put in a good shift. Teammates seemed to love him. Never really saw the field for Texas, but uh, hey, man, get your scholarship, get your uh, education, and now go see if you can get a get a grad transfer to do something. Got the opportunity to get an MBA for free, right? Can't be mad about it. Like, you know, none of these guys, like, this seems, you know, whatever it is, what it is. Um, but, you know, these guys haven't really made an impact, right? Like, Nayor was supposed to come in and be what A.D. Mitchell was, and, you know, unfortunately the knee injury. Casey Kane had a lot of upside but never really cracked the uh, – Cracked the depth chart. The fact that like Larry Turner Gooden couldn't find a way on special teams uh, was pretty telling for like his future, right? B.J. Allen's a kid who I think again had a lot of upside, but that um, never made the opportunity. SGW is one that I think is uh, weird because he struggled with being like 
a tweener on both sides of the ball. Like he's just, he's got, he doesn't have the body to really be either an offensive or defensive lineman. I think at, at this level for Texas. So um, it sucks for him. It sucks that he kind of got caught in limbo. Um, but I hope he finds a place that, that works well for him. And he can at the very least get a free master's degree. Yeah. Uh, Nayer, I'll just say one more thing was, you know, when Mitchell came in and, and, you know, you have to protect for injuries, but luckily Texas stayed very healthy in the receiver room, even though, you know, people got banged up through the year. They, they pretty much played every game. Uh, the, the, the reminder is Nayer was brought in as a player specifically for last year's team, what they needed last year and what led to, you know, some losses that, that could have been wins probably was him being healthy. So, uh, even though the experiment never worked, it's not his fault, and I and I don't blame him for going no, again no, no. and finding a, a team that can be built kind of for his arrival to get him the ball because he has some talent. But Gerald, some receivers have have been um, going. We've had some people announce at other schools. There's been some folks who've been strongly linked to Texas as well as um, a couple other positions of. Uh, both note of interest uh, ones that we laid out as, as uh, priority areas. So um, do you want to run through, because I want to give you your shine. You called one of these shots uh, way, way back when a month ago on the Twitter box, doc, Texas, if you're not following him, I don't know how you got here. Cause he's got like three times, 10 times of followers. We do. Uh, but he asked, who was your most realistic portal candidate to fiddle the need for Texas? And I said, Andrew Makuba from Clemson. And sure enough, Makuba is in the portal and has been crystal balled to Texas. Uh, basically, the second he dropped in, fills a need. He could play either, um, like he's either going to be a safety or play that John A. Barron role, I think, on the defense, one of the two. I'm not sure which one he slots in at, but uh, excited to see him. He's a kid that should have been in Texas already, but the last staff didn't get it done. Uh, Matthew Golden, another guy who went in the portal and then immediately saw crystal ball come to Texas. Texas fans are familiar with Matthew Golden, uh, probably still having some PTSD from that Houston game. Um, and then there are a couple of other, like those are the ones that I think Texas probably is in the driver's seat for, from based on everything we've heard and learned. Um, another Houston guy, defensive tackle, Jamari Caldwell, and then the edge from UTSA that honestly almost ended up at Texas last year, but it seems like, um, Jeff trailer talked him out of it. Uh, Trey Moore is another guy. If, if Texas lands those four out of the portal, whew. Yeah, that's a good haul, right? Makuba, the number one safety, Golden, um, you know, a highly rated receiver, uh, Trey Moore, I believe, the top edge. Um, so it's it's really what Texas should be doing is going and getting individual pieces to fill needs to be you know contributors. I, I think um, Trey Moore fulfills my my long standing claim and 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 strategy that the University of Texas system should feed into Texas. We did it with a basketball transfer as well. Um, if there's a great player on a UT and other letters school, Texas should have first, um, it's like a restricted free agent, should have first uh, dibs at going and, and, and picking them up. So um, the rest of you trying to recruit Trey Moore, just get out of here. He's, he's, a, he's a UT system loyalist. He will be staying in some shade of orange is my projection. But Gerald, um, awards, awards uh, had a shade of orange award season is officially upon us we're, we're, we're well into it um but there's still some that will be trickling out but um we had enough all americans that we have our, our first consensus all american there's still some more coming out before that will likely be unanimous all american but tv sweat officially uh consensus all american that's the ap football writers of uh, association of america and walter camp first teams um 
another lineman for the AP uh, All-American second team with Byron Murphy, and then Xavier Worthy third team All-American second team FWAA. Um, some love there. Could be a little some other guys, but I think love for for the three probably biggest uh, most recognized thus far names on the roster. Yeah, I mean, T. Swetzel on the makes sense. I think Byron Murphy continues to be disrespected, and I think it does not bode well for Washington's interior offensive line. <laughs> um, I'm excited to see uh, how, like, if there's just the um, the way that these guys manufacture things mm-hmm. to feel slighted about, mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. Um, he's going to honestly probably feel some kind of way. I think he did feel some kind of way about um, the all Big 12 awards that were given out. The, the coaches voted once. The AP seemed to get it right, though. Uh, Sweat was the defensive player of the year. Sark was the coach of the year. A.D. Mitchell, newcomer of the year. Uh, T. Sweat, Murphy, Jalen Ford, Burt Auburn, and Xavier Worthy on the first team. Uh, uh, Adonai Mitchell, Quinn Ewers, Jay Brooks, and Kelvin Banks on the second team. Um, so, yeah, I think those those awards feel a little bit more um, coherent to what happened this season. So I like it. Yeah, uh, my, my guy Murphy uh, manufactures more chips than Lay's. I don't know. I to, there's, a, there's a rap bar in there somewhere. It'll come to me. I'm workshopping it. Uh, but, yes, loves to make a chip on his own shoulder. Great awards. The the one out of everything this uh, this so far season is – Sark was um, the AP Big Big Twelve, or excuse me, the AP Big Twelve Coach of the Year, as well as named one of the semifinalists for the George Munger Coach of the Year. And the note um, that I put here in the notes that was petty and was intentionally so. He was the only out of fourteen semifinalists, the only Big Twelve coach. So uh, screw you, Big Twelve coaches who didn't vote him for that award. I understand. I guess why you did it, but you were wrong. Very wrong. So in the first official SEC event that we get to uh, be a part of, Gerald, uh, Wednesday night, when you're listening to this, folks, on Wednesday, on the SEC Network, we'll feature the entire conference's 2024 schedule rollout, which, you know, being a big conference with a lot of big teams, I guess this is how they do it. It used to just be people cared about what week they played Texas and or Oklahoma. I guess it it matters more now, uh, as there's a lot of good teams in this conference. But it'll be fun. We can pretend like we're fast-forwarding and it's already here. Um, But it'll officially be SEC time tomorrow. I mean, I'm excited to see it. Uh, Texas has some uh, some hitters on that, but I'm excited to see the A&M game back. I'm excited to see Arkansas seemingly is going to be one of the annual teams that they play as well as OU like having OU Arkansas and A&M on the schedule feels really really right to me and I just absolutely love it next level Longhorns now that we're in the SEC we'll just be pumping them out I'm sure um but for the guys already there it's an interesting week um Gerald did you watch any of the uh the Houston Texans Jets game did you catch any stats or anything from that I did not. There was a, a point uh, well into the third quarter where Sack adjusted the Texans had negative one passing yards. Um, yeah, I think they finished with, with sub 100 for sure. Um, there was like a – at one point I was I, – I did the calculation late in the fourth quarter. Uh, my wife had a baby shower in Dallas, so I drove up. And because it was blacked out because of the – what is it, Tegna? Figure it out, DirecTV. Um, it was blacked out in Houston. I was giving updates to people in Houston who couldn't watch it, but I was at a bar in, in Dallas uh, um, watching the Texans game. But I, I figured out that it was, I think, 1.8 yards per attempt deep into the fourth quarter for C.J. Stroud before he, he went out with an injury. But of his you know sub-100 yards, uh, a quarter of them came on a throw 
to Andrew Beck. One catch for 26 yards, and that doesn't sound like much until you realize Andrew Beck accounted uh, at one point before uh, some subsequent passes for 50% of the Texans' passing offense. Uh, yikes. Um, the, the other, but good for him, but the other uh, Longhorns who I love, and I'll let you pick your favorite out of this list, Michael Dixon, 52-yard punting average, uh, long as 62. Good to see him just dominating still. P.J. Locke doing his thing, lockdown lock, seven tackles, a sack, a QB hit, fourth down pass breakup, forced fumble all over the place. A couple Dolphins safeties I'll let you uh, update there. And then uh, the the running backs, John Foreman, 50 yards and 22 receiving. Uh, Bijan, 34 rushing, 54 receiving, getting close to 100 there with a touchdown to help your fantasy football team. Gerald, who was... Who is your fantasy, or not your fantasy football Longhorn of the Week? Because that's uh, Bijan. Who is your Longhorn of the Week? Uh, if the Dolphins hadn't pissed that game away, I'd probably say Brandon Jones, but I'm still mad at them. Uh, they keep pulling me back in only to stab me directly in the neck. Uh, so I have to probably, I mean, Bijan's probably the right answer, right? Um, it's either Bijan or Deontay, and I'm fine with either one of those, so flip a coin i like pj Locke here for mine like he, he filled the stat sheet and I'm, a, I'm a stat sheet guy um in addition to brandon jones doing great seven tackles one pbu one force fumble uh his other safety uh as they just dominate the the Dolphins safety backfield uh of deshaun elliott had eight tackles so 15 longhorn tackles in that defensive backfield but unfortunately for uh for your dolphins uh, the bad news of connor williams done for the year Texas, I was looking at it, I think has like nine players out uh, on the IR. Um, I don't know if they're all knee injuries, but uh, it's it's a lot. Um, I know that happens every year. Football's a violent game, but it sucks when you look at Longhorns in the NFL lists and uh, half of them are you know DMP uh, injured reserve. Hate to see that. Hope everyone gets healthy for next year. Speaking of next year, Texas X's Caitlin Papp uh, and Sophia Schubert earned their LBGA, LPGA Tour membership for 2024. Both of them finished uh, the qualifying tournament this weekend to get in, so shouts out to the ladies on the LPGA next season. And a legendary lady on the 40 Acres, that of course being former softball head coach Connie Clark, will be inducted into the NFCA Hall of Fame, Gerald. She was she was real good when she was here, and she launched this dang thing. I my favorite stat is she was here twenty three years, twenty two of them as a varsity program. She was a coach when it was still a club sport the last year. So uh, a lot of what we love about Texas softball started with Connie Clark. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, what you and I love softball. We watched it a ton. It sucks that she like the big one always eluded her, right? Like won four conference championships, but could never get over that hump in the NCAA tournament. But uh, she's a legend. She should be both a legend as a player and a legend as a coach. And it's just cool uh, that she's being honored this way. Um, two Honda, Honda uh, three USA softball collegiate players of the year, two Honda softball award winners. She coached. Some great ones. Gerald, let's take it home with our closing segments. Uh, a little bit of Godzilla Tron. What have you been watching on your giant screen? Yeah, it was a travel week for me last week. I was in Indianapolis, the metropolitan. It was nice and chilly there, too. It felt mm. like winter, uh, unlike San Antonio. But You were there doing NCAA business, I assume. India's a convention town. Like ah. It's just a good Midwest spot. So like every time I go, there's like some convention in town. Interesting. Uh, my favorite one, I, the, this, this was... Tangent, you got me on a tangent. The same weekend, I believe, was the National uh, AKA Convention, the Sorority Convention, ah, as well okay, as Gen okay. Con, 
which is the uh, biggest tabletop gaming convention in the world. Very, uh, very diametrically overlap. <laughs> very small overlap with those Venn diagrams. But anywho, um, so I had some work to do on the flight there, but on the flight back, um, I decided to catch up on some movies that I missed. So you mentioned uh, you watched Murder on the Orient Express a couple of weeks ago. I watched Haunting in Venice uh, on the flight, which um, it's a it's a Poirot mystery it's it's um not going to revolutionize your world but it's good kenneth brand is good the performances were fun it was campy and i enjoyed it uh, i had also never seen the movie beetlejuice it my my parents were the type that would not let me watch that type of right. movie um and so i finally was like whatever i've got it like haunting in venice and beetlejuice were per, like the perfect pairing to get me through uh my long flight like it was the exact runtime that i needed like i started a haunting in venice when i sat down and beetlejuice the credits rolled when the captain said we're landing it was perfect that's amazing uh, so uh i had never seen it it was very very it's timothy burton right it's, it, it is what it is um michael keaton great i think the way that they used him in that movie um it was very minimal which was cool like they kind of alluded to him um very very funny um again i get it it's it's weird that they turned that into like my biggest exposure was to like the nickelodeon kids cartoon that they spun off of that which is nothing like the movie but that's either here nor there and then i started another audiobook called the sword defiant um which is a, it's a uh fantasy you know kind of your your high fantasy situation where um the 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 knight that killed the big bad stole his sword after it and the sword is now hinted that the big bad is coming back and so like that's where i'm at in the book and it's really interesting um so i'm enjoying it fun if you're into fantasy so far it's kind of it's kind of a darker fantasy uh but i'm really enjoying it okay um i love i you know i don't think i've seen beetlejuice like as an adult there's probably things that i i didn't pick up i probably was a teenager though maybe even early teen the last time i saw it so it probably uh probably hits different with adult perspective i may need to check that out but uh, i i do think that the poirot uh, stuff is perfect for plane watching um i watched nothing on a plane but did watch a few shows this week i finished uh only murders uh season three i believe you finished that as well gerald right are you caught up uh, we're not finished with season three. Ah, okay, okay. I won't spoil anything then. Um, I won't spoil it for the listeners. But after watching the first two seasons, and they set up a third season, and it was like, okay, how long are they going to do this? And even the first two episodes, maybe, of season three, I was like, yeah, it seems they've lost the plot a bit. But it speeds up a lot towards the end, and it's it's pretty great. I, I'm i no longer trying to hide it. I love musicals. I just do. Who doesn't? And, and that's okay. Great. My wife, My wife doesn't like musicals. It's it's It's... Terrible. She has a husband who's ready to sit here and and just sing uh, with you. But no, she's she's. We our wives can stay at home, and you and I will go see this. <laughs> the boys, yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love everything about that. Um, but yes, it it's uh, um, the defining uh, question of which of the Pickwick triplets did it. Um, you know, uh, comes to a uh, a full steam conclusion. It's just good fun, like. It's 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 the good stuff. It's like light. It's fun. It's dumb. You don't have to take it too seriously. But it's intriguing also with some whodunit elements. We now know I love a whodunit. Um, so yeah, check it out. I was skeptical even like halfway through the season and ended up uh, with a with a good taste in my mouth. Finishing out season three, I believe season four has been announced. So it's just going to keep going as long as uh, everyone there is uh, is alive and kicking. Um, <laughs> that's dark. I didn't mean for that to be. Uh, the the other two is another show that I watched. Have you have you even heard of this? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's an HBO show. I don't think it was like especially well publicized, or if it was, it wasn't marketed like to us. Um, it's 
just feels like a niche. Maybe it's a Mac show, even um, a niche show. Uh, but my wife actually first was like, yeah, this might be good. And then I started loving it. I think even more than she did. It's uh, It feels very um, search party, which is something I've recommended on this. Uh, like it's it's made to skewer kind of millennials and Gen Z culture, um, but does it in like a, you know, a way that you can tell the people making the jokes are the people who are making fun of themselves. Um, it's good. And it's all about a the next big um, team, like, Bieber, the next big teen uh, heartthrob, and like how weird it is that it's a heartthrob at like thirteen, um, and and some of the songs and what they're talking about, but also the other two siblings who aren't famous and just have to be like adjacent to that. It's it's pretty good. It's funny. It's really light. They're thirty minute episodes. I think they go by really quick. They're background folding clothes type of show. There's quippy quick stuff in it, um, and like I said, it's it's. It's skewering uh, the demographic that we both fall into, which is elder millennials. So, um, yeah, I, I like it. I recommend it. It's it's probably not for everyone, but if any of that stuff I said sounds like, yeah, it sounds like me, you might like it as well. All you had to say to sell me is that Molly Shannon and Ken Marino were two of the leads. Absolutely. I would be there. Absolutely, I'd yeah. There. And, and their dynamic is, is pretty funny. Like, that, yeah, she's great in it. Season two, I think I just like watch the first episode of just getting into it. And I think Molly Shannon just continues to eat up more screen time, which I'm perfectly okay with. Yeah. Who wouldn't be, but that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, big Bertha. And we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I'm splitting it because they're both small and I don't want to go too deep on either of them. Um, first of all, the Texas NIL um, Texas One Fund announced an agreement to partner with uh, WME, which if that doesn't sound like anything but letters or sounds like WWE, which we uh, got out of. Um, kind of, right? Uh, WME is was the full acronym is, is probably Williams Morris Endeavor. I think they just go by WME now, but William Morris, the large agency and Endeavor, the large Hollywood talent agency. They represent most of your uh, favorite Hollywood actors. They're a huge firm. I know we have, I know at least one Longhorn in my class who um, went on and, and went to work for, for that company and is an agent now. Shout outs to Solomon. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it is the big Hollywood Agency. They've recently diversified a bit. They actually did buy the WWE, I think, this year. Uh, they, I think, own UFC at this point. Uh, they bought IMG, right? Um, so the the branding really makes a... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which Texas has already been closely aligned with. A lot of the football players last year went out to the, the Austin uh, Rodeo. I don't know if that's PBR, but with, with uh, Bull Riding, they are associated. But... Um, it makes a lot of sense to me because it is uh, the Texas One Fund is where, you know, until regulation and stuff comes for NIL, it is how Texas mainly um, monitors, directs out NIL. And this has a chance to really take them to the next level. Like I said, they own IMG. They have, you know, direct connections to companies where they do advertising, um, you know, commercials, endorsements. They've signed a few individual athletes, one of those being Sam Hurley, Texas um, track star, who is an Instagram sensation, I think has the most uh, Instagram followers of any Texas uh, athlete, past or present. Pick one, Vince, Bijan, doesn't matter. That's your guy. He's millions of them. Um, He's also a model. It's true. He does modeling. Um, But he came to, I think he's a, 
high jumper. Um, but anyways, uh, he, he was signed and they signed like Livy Dunn from what LSU gymnastics. Like there's certain athletes who were big enough stars that they signed, but the fact that they're going to Texas and I believe Notre Dame is the other school that they've started with says a lot about where they view the biggest brands in college sports. And I think that's great. Um, and I just love what it offers for, uh, down the, down the list kind of where, um, where folks, you know, will get plugged in. It's exciting times for NIL. It's exciting times the rich get richer. So the other thing I'll say is uh, my favorite thing of the week is, and I don't have a ton to say here. I just love the the chutzpah of the kid. There's an 11-year-old who went viral uh, for um, basically two Aggie parents was watching like everyone who listened to this podcast uh, eagerly in the morning for the selection show, waiting for the official word. Uh, that they teased out very well that Texas will be in the college football playoff. He excited, went nuts, went crazy. The video of him uh, showing all that emotion with his two Aggie parents there has uh, been endearing. There's been Longhorns reaching out to get him, I believe, to the Sugar Bowl. You love to see it. Um, I'm calling the kid Aggie's Bane, which is a name we've bestowed only upon the great Justin Tucker on this very pad- podcast, but um, good on his parents as well for supporting their son, you know, not forcing the uh, the, the cult uh, ideology of, of Texas agriculture and mining onto the poor kid, giving him a chance at success. But you love to see it. It's the, it's the fun stuff of rivalries in college football. It was uh, it was cool. Absolutely. Like that is letting your kid make their own choice and something like that. Like college football tribalism is one is, is a thing, right? It is what he, what we do. And so I think it's cool that the parents um, let their kid make their own decisions. Would I say the other direction? Maybe, I don't know, but we'll see how it goes. I'm banging the drum this week on early signing day. We are a week from early signing day hitting. And so, a couple of things. One, uh, everybody hates early signing day. And we should get rid of it, including the coaches. Uh, it doesn't benefit anybody at this point uh, other than getting kids to lock in their commitments too early. Uh, but that's either here nor there. It has accelerated every calendar on the college football planet, including firing coaches in November to make sure you get one a new one in place before early signing day in December. It's just dumb. Get rid of it. But also, as we're doing that, uh, quit hanging on every word and tweet. Kyle and I follow recruiting. Uh, I follow it more than Kyle does, but it's we kind of get paid for it. And also, like you know, it's it's not something that we follow um, religiously, but we we do have to talk about it. We get paid to talk about it, um, and so that's why we do it. And one of the things I will say, if you are somebody that's going to follow recruiting. Um, the tweets don't ever really matter. Follow what they do, not what they say, right? There's a kid currently visiting Texas that has been saying for weeks that he's solid to his commitment to Florida. Follow what they do, not what they say. With that, I will also say, don't tweet at them. A lifelong maxim, don't tweet at Cruz. And don't let your mental health be wrecked by 16 and 17-year-olds who are a fickle bunch, even if they are future millionaires, they are. Nonetheless, a fickle bunch. Wait until they're 18 and playing on Saturday. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, Longhorn Republic Pod at Gmail. Dot com. We'll be back next week. We're still trying to figure out the day because we've got early signing day next week. We're also trying to get uh, our friend Gaby Lucas on the pod to help us preview the Sugar Bowl matchup. So we'll be here next week, but we'll be more flexible on the date. Just bear with us. Holiday season makes weird bedfellows. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, okay. Wisconsin Badges, we don't need no stinking badges. 